Kim. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. You eat a chicken sandwich? This is the Press Box. The best is their chicken minis, which are these little small rolls that they have butter all over them and like a chicken nugget inside of it, and they're delicious. I got to get out more, man. I have a slice of wheat toast. With Grainy and Bischoff. I got to get out more. On ESPN Las Vegas. No bad emails on this show, only positive ones. Good emails here on the ESPN 1100-100.9 FM with the Press Box, Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Good emails. Good emails. We send good emails to each other. Good texts. Positive. We're positive here on the I'm Press yelling Box. at everybody today. There yeah, is not yeah, going to be much positivity Well, that's on why this I'm opening up with some positivity, because I know what's about to happen. Before the show, Tyler looked me dead in the eyes, and he basically went, I'm going scorched earth. Nothing good Which, happened this weekend. What's different here? <laughs> Are we different on anything here today <laughs> other than my phone? Uh, well, might as well get to it. The first bite. Have the Raiders collapsed already? Oh, it's a tough one. I guess you can tell me if they've collapsed based on if you can tell me if this will be the offensive line the rest of the season. Because if this is the offensive line the rest of the season then they might uh, already be on the downswing, right? I will say that there was definitely a sack where Derek Carr collapsed. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> How is the offensive line going to get better? They just uh, made their big yeah. change. They took their first round right tackle and moved them to right yeah. guard. That's, the, that's their big change, right? That's the significant move you make. What else are they going to do? They're going to bring uh, uh, Elmanor. healthy? <laughs> yeah, they're going to bring Elmanor in for John Simpson. Is that going to fix the offensive yeah. line? Like, they just made a big change. They just made a big move on the offensive line, and it did not work. I guess they could trade for somebody. I John, Richie Incognito could come back and be healthy, but like that's sort of your big Hail Mary move as a coach is like, okay, we drafted Alex Otherwood in the first round to be our starting right tackle four games in. He's not any good. Let's move him to right guard and give Brandon Parker a shot. And guess what? That didn't work either. And you can't do, and you can't move them back. I mean, I'll, I'll say this about the a rookie: I don't think it's right to keep moving them front and back. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do, but I think at this point, if you've moved them inside, at least for you know the next couple weeks, you have to keep them inside. They've got. I don't know if they can get healthy. We've talked about incognito to death here. I'm going to believe it when I see it with him. You asked me like about a month ago, will we see him this season? I had to at that point say no because why would you think you would? He is technically I, eligible to return from IR for this week. <sighs> Will that happen? He was on the field yesterday before, and you know, in tank top and and short. So he's out there. He's out there. He's, he's alive. He's Ed Grady can yes. confirm yes. Richie Incognito yes. is alive, fast, big, and alive. <laughs> uh, that's my reporting out there with the players. No, he was on the field talking to some Bears coaches. He obviously knew, kind of yucking it up, taking some pictures with guys. So he's around. But again, he is eligible to come off. I'll believe when I see it. And let yucking me ask it up. And let me let me ask you this. Um, he comes back next. He comes back this coming week. It's better, obviously, because with him and Colton Miller on the same side, that that's better. But you still have major issues on the other yeah, side. Yeah, the right side's a nightmare. Yeah, it's an absolute nightmare where you're putting Brandon Parker and Alex Otherwood, or Alex Otherwood and James Elmanor, or John Simpson, whatever combination you want to put over there. It's a nightmare. And again, with Richie Incognito, even if he does come back, how confident is anybody that he plays the rest of the season? Right. He, he barely played last year, two games last year. Like, even if he comes back, the chances Richie Incognito finishes the season without getting hurt again seems pretty low at this point. So I don't think there's any reason to think the offensive line is going to significantly improve this year. And listen, this team just lost to Justin Fields and the Bears. Justin Fields completed 12 of 20 passes for 111, 111. yards. Yeah. 
And the Raiders lost to that team. How many times did we hear, especially this offseason, well, if you give Derek Carr a good defense, he'd be a great quarterback. Yeah. He'd lead you to a lot of wins. He'd be in the playoffs if you gave him a good defense. The defense was awesome yeah. yesterday. He has a good defense. Yes. Defense and, had one bad drive. They had three. They kind of gifted him a touchdown. Other than that, they had they were really, really good. Stopped him twice on third and one. Defense was fine. Yeah. They have scored 23 points in the last two games. 23. And hell, the Charger game, even though they ended up giving up 28 points, if you see what the Chargers just did to the yeah. Browns, yeah. hell of a defensive yeah. performance there, too. Like, this is, it, it's pathetic the way the offense looks. Derek Carr has been awful the last two weeks. He missed a ton of throws in yes. that game, including the game ceiling fourth down miss where Brian Edwards is open and Derek Carr, for some reason, missed him by like 15 yards. His interception, he just lobbed that one up down the field and let the safety run over. If he throws that with any sort of urgency, it's probably a completion because the safety and can't accuracy. Get there in time. Yeah, but he just lobbed it up down the field. Safety's got 45 seconds to run across the field and go intercept that one. Derek Carr's been awful. The offensive line's been awful the last or the entire season, and there's no run game to speak of. This is pathetic from the offense. Like, this is absolutely pathetic from an offense that's supposed to be good. They can't move the ball anymore. Did you hear Josh Jacobs after the game? Yeah, I watched his film, and he's like, yeah. where am I supposed oh, to go? Where am I supposed to bleep and go? <laughs> you know, he tried. Yeah, he did. Now, you know, he said, hey, they're young. I think they're going to get better. But he made a point to say, hey. He's young. Uh, true. He made a point to say, hey, I watch a lot of film. And I see plays, and my question is, where do you, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? Which, run into the back of your yeah. guard. <laughs> Which is perfectly fair. Yeah. I mean, I, the running game problems aren't necessarily Josh Jacobs' no. fault. The, the issue with Josh Jacobs and the Kenyon Drake signing is that as you are learning this year, if you hadn't been paying attention before, running backs don't matter. It's the offensive line and the scheme that determine how good the running game is going to be. So Josh Jacobs is an irrelevant first-round pick when the offensive line is this bad. When the offensive line is good, Josh Jacobs is still an irrelevant first-round pick. But because, he's better. Because just about anybody yeah. can run behind a good offensive but line. Right. But this is it has nothing to do with Josh Jacobs. It has everything to do with the offensive line. And here's the thing. You look at the Raiders this offseason. They've got a better defense. Why do they have a better defense? Because they finally made some good free agent signings, right? That's the sure. first time they've actually made good defensive free agent signings since Gruden and Mayock were here. But what did they do to get there? They blew up the offensive line, mm-hmm. and that is completely backfired. Like, it's not even to a point where the offensive line looks salvageable at this point, and you've got a quarterback who struggles when under pressure. It, th- this is this offense is is a disaster. It's an absolute disaster right now. What I forget our... I forget our predictions over the week. We both picked the Raiders. We both picked the Bears, I think, under 20. But I'll say this. If you went into the game saying they're going to give up 20, I'm sorry. That's enough to win. Right. I think you had 21-14, and I had 23-16. If you you said before the game, they're playing the Chicago Bears, and Justin Fields is a rookie who hasn't done very much, and you're going to give up 20 points, you say, oh, 28-20. Like you wouldn't have even blinked. Absolutely. That's that's the defense played well enough giving up 20 to win the game. Yeah. They just did. Yeah. It was and listen, if the offense is any level of competent, they probably don't even give up 20 in that game. True. If the offense just moves the ball True. a couple of times yeah. in that game, the defense probably doesn't give up 20. Right. I mean, how would the defense get like three straight three and outs in the third quarter? Yeah. And the offense just stopped said, them twice on third and yeah. one. The offense just said, "No, thanks. We don't want to go down yeah. and try to score and make this a game." Just it's it's pathetic that you have John Gruden, a coach who's supposed to be the offensive mastermind, and Derek Carr, a quarterback who's always looking around saying, where's my credit? How come nobody thinks I'm as good as Drew Brees, like he said last year? This is unbelievably bad. Like, this offense is a joke. And 
they've got to fix that or else this team is going from 3-0 and to not even in the playoff hunt for the last oh, three I weeks don't, of the season. I don't think at this point, I'm sorry, and, I, and people say, oh, it's only five games. The offensive line is so bad that you can't see a playoff yet right no. now. You can't. I mean, you can't. And here, here we go uh, this weekend with Denver. Another really good defense, another really good defensive line. What's going to happen this week? On the road, in altitude, with that offensive line? I mean, I, you know, I don't suspect or I don't uh, expect any any different results in terms of how the offensive line plays. No, not at all. I mean, there's no reason to think. And, hell, the game will probably play out the same way, too. Denver's a good defensive team whose offense is whatever. Teddy Bridgewater's been better than accept, uh, expected, but it's still not really a good offense. He's better than Justin Fields. Yeah, but it's, still, and, but it's still not a good offense. And you're looking at a team that could barely beat Jacoby Brissett-led Dolphins, got beat by Justin Fields-led Bears. Right. Teddy Bridgewater's better than both of those yes, guys. Yes, absolutely. And hell, their de- the Denver defense is probably better than both of those teams' defenses. So if they if they don't figure out what's happening offensively, if they don't figure out a way to move the ball, right? John Gruden has got to stop trying to establish the run on first and second down. He just has to quit. There's no reason whatsoever for John Gruden to keep trying to run the ball. Josh Jacobs yesterday had 15 carries. Yeah. Unbelievable that he'd have yeah. that many carries with how ineffective. And he ran for 48 yards, by the way. Unbelievable that you would turn and give him the ball 15 times in a game that, A, you were trailing for the majority of the game, and, B, he had nowhere to go. There's no reason to keep giving Jacobs the ball. Gruden has to stop trying to establish a run. But the other part, um, expected points added, right? Derek Carr's bottom five in the league on first and second down and expected points added. Well, he's a lot been, of that has to do with Gruden. Right, but he's been awful when throwing right. the ball in first and second down. He's been great on third down. Derek Carr on third down this year has been one of the best in the league. First and second down, he's been horrific. This team sucks on first and second down. They can't, and you you can't rely on we're going to convert seventy five percent of our third downs to move down the field. This team's it, all around these. This offense is a disaster. Like they finally fixed the defense. It's been two decades of this team looking around saying, "How the hell do we get a good defense on the field?" They finally have it through five weeks, and the offense is just gone. The offense is just missing. Like it's I, it's unacceptable. And I don't know how much the offensive line tends to, and I think it plays into some of it because you know he's. As yesterday, he said, well, I'm throwing off my spot, and he's getting pressured and everything. But the one thing I'm trying to remember back in terms of him, uh, look, he's not Aaron Rodgers in this sense. I get that. But the inaccuracy. And I don't know how much percentage to give to the bad offensive line for his inaccuracy. I don't know if he's just throwing inaccurate. He's he's feeling the rush because he has become, once again, the last two games, more check down, more check down Derek Carr. So I'm, I haven't really put a number on, is it him or is he just feeling it so much that he's inaccurate with a lot of these shows? It's probably a semblance of both, but he's really inaccurate. Yeah, I think there's there's a level of both that's going on there where he's feeling the pressure and that's causing him to be inaccurate. But at this point, doesn't matter. He's got to be better. No, yeah. Like the offensive line's not getting better. And it's not it's not a case of he's getting hit on all of these. No, he's got throwing hit incompletions. Four times yesterday and sacked three times, yeah. but only I'm saying only, but he got hit four right. times. So it's not like he's like the fourth down pass to Brian Edwards. Like, was he under pressure? Sure. Was he hit when he threw the ball or something? No, no. he just missed the pass. Like right. you, you have to make those passes. He missed Renfro. He missed Waller. Yeah. He threw Waller had two drops in the game. Both were still bad throws by Carr. He threw one high to Waller. Waller still should have caught it, but he threw right. one high right. over the middle to Waller where Waller had a full extend to catch it and he missed it. And then he threw the check down to Waller where he threw it slightly to the wrong side, and Waller still, again, should have caught it, but it's not an accurate. He throw. missed Renfro at least twice. Yeah, in the early in the game and in the third quarter on and out, he missed Renfro like throwing at his, and it's a quick out, and he throws it like at his at his knees at yeah. his legs uh, instead of that. I don't know how that that's not even feeling the rush. That's just missing a throw. 
Uh, which fan base was louder, Bears or Raiders? Bears. What was the split? Uh, I asked someone. They thought it was 55-45 Raiders. Okay, so no. clo- close to 50-50. No, it was close yeah. to 50-50. And, I mean, a couple times he had to use a silent count yeah. in his own stadium. That's good, though. That's good. I mean, you know, we need we need that money. Good for the economy. Yeah. That's that's what they said. We said uh, we said yesterday the blessing in that you're right. They're kind of all coming to Vegas and spending money and staying here, and it's a curse in that you're using silent counts in your own stadium because the other team is that loud. You don't get the Raiders if you want to not sell out the like not have a half like a, a 50, that was the selling split. point. That was that was one of the major selling points. Hey, people are going to come here. They're going to be in you know, the whole cliches about they're going to be in hotel rooms. They're going to be in restaurants. They're going to be gambling. And it appeared the Chicago Bear fans bought into that because there were a ton of Chicago Bear fans yesterday. All right, coming up next, we'll get into the Major League Baseball playoffs and how stupid Major League Baseball's rulebook is. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Back to Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg, Florida. It is playoff baseball on a cell phone. We are apologizing for technical difficulties. The IT department with the Tampa Bay Rays is inside our booth. The good news is that the Red Sox did back-to-back home runs in the top of the third and within a run, 5-4. to four. And the pressure continues to build on Tanner Howe. He is in the spotlight trying to keep the Red Sox right where they are. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. We're not the only radio station that has problems. Boston's radio crew had to call the game off a cell phone for a while. Oh, that's well, fun. It's all—it's always good whenever he's on the cell phone and he goes, you missed two home runs. Yeah, eh, not ideal. Um, did you find out yesterday that baseball has some stupid rules in the rule book? I don't know if we we needed to watch that game to realize that. So we had two two events yesterday. First, Boston and Tampa go to 13 innings. Two outs, runner on first. Kevin Kiermeyer hits one into the gap. Bounces off the wall and then bounces off of Hunter Renfro and over the outfield wall. Different Hunter Renfro. Yes. Yes. Um, the runner that was on first when this ball bounced off of Hunter Renfro was already around third base. Yeah, this scored, was scored a no-doubt yeah. RBI triple. Kevin Kiermaier actually might have had a chance to score, depending on how they played the ball. And considering that Hunter Renfro let it bounce off of his body and go back over the wall, Kevin Kiermaier might have actually scored. But this is a no-doubt run-scoring triple in the top of the 13th inning. But because it bounced off of Hunter Renfro and went over the wall, the correct ruling is that it is a ground rule double because the Major League Baseball rule book states that if the ball deflects off of a fielder over the outfield wall like that, it is a ground rule double. Now, had Hunter Renfro caught the ball and then thrown it over the wall... Or kicked it. Uh, yes, if he had done something intentionally, yeah. then they would have awarded two bases from when he intentionally threw the ball, which, which would, have, would have scored. Both runs would have ended yeah, up scoring exactly. in that case. But the umpires made the correct call according to the baseball rule book, but it is absolutely the incorrect call based on what should have happened. Hunter Renfro got rewarded on that play for misplaying the baseball. Yes. Like the ball came yes. off the wall. He did not catch it. He did no. not field it. It went off his body. It hit him. Like yeah. it just hit him. And Hunter Renfro got rewarded for that. The next batter made it out and the Red Sox walked it off in the bottom of the 13th inning. 
that's an unbelievably stupid rule. Like, I can't believe that's rule. Rule 5.06. Apparently. Then in the next game, about an hour later, uh, Yasmany Grandal's batting for the White Sox. There are runners on first and third. He hits a ground ball to first base. Yuli Gurriel throws home to get the runner at the plate. And he's the runner's going to be out. He's going to be out by by a with a decent tag. The runner's going to be out. But the ball that Yuli Gurriel throws home hits Yasmany Grandal, who is running to first. Grandal has two feet in the infield grass when the ball hits him. He is not in the dirt baseline no, running down the baseline. to first. He has two feet in the infield grass. The official ruling, in the major, according to Major League Baseball rulebook, is that when you are running from home to first, you do not have to run in any baseline. You can run wherever you want. You could run at the pitcher. You could run to the on deck circle. That would, you can literally, that would be good. you can literally run wherever you want. And if the ball hits you, no big deal. The the defense just has to deal with it. The only thing that can cause you to be out is if the umpires determine that you ran into the ball or interfered with the play on purpose. purpose. Right. Both of these rules basically don't do things on purpose. Right. And I would actually argue that Grandal did run into the grass on purpose because his first three steps were in the dirt. Then all of a sudden he veers to the left to get in the grass. He probably did it on purpose, but that's with the benefit of replay. Watching live, you probably don't see that. And because this is a judgment call, this one couldn't be reviewed. Like the ums couldn't go look at it. They just had to determine right then and there. Did he run into the ball on purpose? And they said no. So run scored. Ball got away from the catcher. Other runner moved to third. Runner was safe at first when it should have been an out. No run first and second. Two rules. Umps probably got them both right by the rule book. Incredibly stupid like rules. How that is even how either of those are the rules seems bizarre to me. I think the most important thing here without question is the story that just came across this morning that the White Sox, White Sox believe the Astros are stealing signs, and they're right. back to their old tricks. Uh, Ryan Tapera, <laughs> the White Sox reliever, accused the Astros of... Uh, stealing signs. He said they, they do sketchy things yes, at Minute sketchy. Maid Park. I like sketchy. Uh, the funny part about that is that the White Sox led the American League in win percentage at home this year. They were under five hundred on the road this year. The White Sox just got done scoring five runs in two games in Houston. They scored 12 last yes. night in Chicago. So if the Astros are stealing signs, they're not doing a very good job yet. Well, no, the White Sox, the White Sox are the ones that are stealing signs. Oh, the Ast- I don't know. The Astros three games, six at home in Houston, nine at home in Houston, six on the road in Chicago for runs scored. The White Sox scored one five. in Houston, four in Houston, 12 oh. in Chicago. <laughs> If you're pointing fingers as to which offense showed up at home, <laughs> I think it might be the Chicago uh, offense that showed up at home. I don't. I don't think Tony would allow that to happen. It's too old school. Do wasn't you think he, he would? He's already been accused of. Yeah, doing that. in the '80s, he would. Li- wasn't he the one in the '80s that used to have a guy just watching television? Tony's yeah. changed. Jack McDowell, I think, was the former pitcher that said, "Yeah, he's, Tony Larusa was doing this he's in straight the '80s." And clean. It, it it's okay. I just I I'm genuinely like, it's baseball. You steal signs. It's part of like a hey, cheat better. Yeah, fix your signs. Uh, can I yell about Dusty Baker for a minute? Mm. So Dusty Baker Aren't you last up night two one. It yes. should it should have been over if it wasn't for the damn home plate umpire. I'll yell about him too. Dusty Baker, uh, in the third inning of the game last night. Pulled his starting pitcher after he already threw two balls. 2-0 count. He goes out and makes a pitching change. 
situation that's at hand. There's two outs and runners on first and second with a lefty at the plate. The Astros starting pitcher, Luis Garcia, is not actually very good against lefties. He's dominant against right-handed hitters, but he kind of struggles against lefties. So I don't mind too much Dusty Baker pulling him against a lefty, but, you know, do it before the at-bat starts, not after there's a 2-0 count. But the real problem is that Dusty Baker goes and makes a pitching change, and the reliever he brings in is the exact same as the starter. He's dominant against righties, but sucks against lefties. Guy gives up a three-run home run on the third pitch he throws. What the hell is Dusty doing? We The Chicago White Sox offense has, they've got two left-handed hitters on their entire roster, right? So the Astros only carried one lefty reliever in their bullpen because there's not many times you're going to need a lefty. This was the time to use the lefty reliever, and he did it. And then guess what he did? In the eighth inning, he brings in the lefty reliever with two outs and nobody on to face a righty. And then he gives up five straight hits. What the hell is Dusty Baker doing? Dusty will be fine. He'll win the series. He'll be, be fine with Dusty. Series. I have a I have a golf clap. Cody Bellinger. Hey, he hey, got a double. Yeah, he had a double in our year. I turned it off, by the way, when he came on. And you then turned two, it off. And then two of my friends texted me right away. Belly with an exclamation point. Oh, and I knew he had done something You turned it well. off. Come I, I, on. Come on. I did, he's a bum. You can't I, give I up on Cody Bellinger. Well, I have. <laughs> give up on him. You can't give up on Cody Bellinger. <laughs> uh, he's a former MVP. I like that they're one and one. Scherzer tonight. As like opposed to being up 2-0? What well, do you think? Like come on. We, we, they weren't going to beat Logan Webb that night. He was amazing. I have no problem. When Logan Webb pitches like that, I have no problem. I Like, I don't even get mad at the loss. I don't. Like, he was really, really good. What like, happens had, if Buster Posey runs into the ball that's being thrown home when you're trying to throw a runner out? Then it's a ground rule double and nobody <laughs> scores. Um, <laughs> He, he's happy that they're one and one against yes. basically a KBO team plus no. Buster Posey. No, there I, I'm. I the way Logan Webb pitched, I'm I nine two in the Logan second one. Logan Webb, yes, he was great. Ten strikeouts. He, had, he pitched the game of his life. The uh, game of his life. So here's Scherzer tonight, one one against Alex Wood. Like their chances. Uh, Ted Barrett, the home plate umpire for the Giants and Dodgers this year, according to umpire scorecard, had the 83rd best accuracy this year out of 99 umpires. Did you play offensive line for the Raiders? Yeah, sounds like it. The Astros, the umpire for the Astros White Sox last night, ranked 87th uh, out of 99. Are you telling me that's who's tonight? Uh, Ted Barrett is tonight for tonight. the Dodgers. Oh. Yeah. Not good. Coming yeah, up be next. Good. That'll be good. He can only get better. Kevin Kruger <laughs> joins the show. Do you want to schedule a parent-teacher conference after hearing Grainy's grades? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and let us know who deserves a higher grade. Joel, a couple of dribbles. Gives it back to Kruger. Kruger for three from the right side. Gets down. Makes another one. A chance for another four-point play. That could be Kevin Kruger's second four-point play in the second half. You barely see sometimes. You barely see that once in a game. You barely Kevin see it in a season. See it twice in the same half. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Joining us now, the head coach for UNLV men's basketball, Kevin Kruger. Uh, Kevin, which of your guys this year is most likely to get that four-point play? Hopefully all of them. <laughs> and, uh, hopefully they tie. They all tie with a whole bunch of them. So I, I did want to start off by asking you guys about the practice you're going to hold on Thursday where you guys are going to honor and, and take some contributions here to help out Robert Smith. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, the the practice on Thursday, I think we just, we really wanted to take an opportunity to, 
to use that kind of because we practice in the morning. So use this opportunity to kind of get people out, see the team, uh, see the future, you know, running Rebels and the, the direction we want to go. But really the, the main objective is just to get people in the building, uh, donating to Robert Smith and his family to help with their medical needs. And uh, I think, you know, the, the guys are excited to do it. You know, they had a chance to meet Robert. And they've had a chance to see a bunch of the former players come by and talk to him and, and be with them. And when we kind of brought up the idea cause it, of switching the schedule up and putting in the afternoon and doing it for Robert and his family, they were all uh, excited on board, uh, looking forward to it. So um, we're really just really happy about having the opportunity to help them. Yeah, Kevin, we haven't talked to you. I mean, everyone's talked about your team and the new players and all that, and we'll get to that. But every coach who's come in in the past says also how much they want their kids to be in the community and do things like this. Um, beyond, you know, now everything's about name, image, image, likeness. What can they get for themselves across the country in every sport? Talk about what you want your guys to be like, though, without NIL and actually just helping people like Robert and being in the community, given this program is the standard program at that school. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the one thing that that's great about this group and the one thing we kind of were hoping for during the Put, uh, assembling the group and assembling this team was being a little bit older and a little more uh, kind of experienced through college and, and what their, you know, name image likeness value is. And so this is a group that really understands the balance, I think. And they, you know, name image and likeness didn't come up for it. Um, it really hasn't come up much with this guy, with this group. Uh, they're extremely appreciative of the opportunities they get in name image and likeness, but um, yeah, there's, I think there's going to be a lot of times where people are, or you know, college athletes are wondering what they can get and what they, you know, what does their value would be for this or that. But um, Vegas is just, it's such a great community, a great, you know, group of people in the, in the city that uh, the guys are really understanding that they can give a lot more to the city than, than what the city can kind of give for them, I think. And they, you know, being out there in the community with, with kids growing up in the area and, you know, they've been and fully on board and wanting to do everything they can. So this is just kind of another another opportunity for us to do it as a whole instead of them kind of trying to go out and do it on their own. But, yeah, no, we, we fully encourage them to get out in the community, get the, you know, show the city really how much they appreciate their support, and and hopefully they come out and support them as well. You mentioned your current roster getting to talk to some former players. Which ones have they gotten to talk to, and, and why is that something that's important for UNLV? I think it's important as much as anything just to, you know, the, the tradition and history of UNLV basketball. It's, it's, it's so you know, deep and rich. And, you know, having the group come by, I mean, we had, we had a Legends luncheon not too far back, and a couple of the guys got to meet players with the practices being open. We've had a handful come through. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to leave anybody out because there's been, you know, probably 40 or 50 guys, former players that have come through at some point. And, it really, as a as a coaching staff, I think that's really exciting because it's it's something that shows the guys that this is a lifelong opportunity to be a rebel. Because you know we say as a staff, when somebody says former rebel, we're quick to point out that there's no such thing as a former rebel. You know, you might be a former player, but there's no such thing as a former rebel. And I think when when those guys come through and show their support and, and talk to the guys, they they it kind of makes more sense. And it's hopefully something that they take with them that. You know, even though you're done playing, you're you're still a rebel. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You'll have two closed door scrimmages uh, against opponents. A lot of new faces. Um, 
not nervous, but trepidation, not, not really knowing when they get on the court. I mean, you must be excited about that and at the same time wondering what it's going to look like. Oh, exactly. No, I think uh, a healthy anxiety is probably the best way to put it um, from a coaching staff where we really want to see him go against somebody else. But, you know, there's a double-edged sword to that because we could be leaving saying we need a lot more than two weeks and we could be leaving saying, <laughs> wow, we wish everybody would have seen how hard they played and, and played well. But either way, we, we know we've got two great opportunities to get better and, uh, and get ready for that first game. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, you can look at it from either direction, I suppose. Over the course of a season, you can't, you know, really play like 11, 12 deep. That becomes a really hard thing to do in basketball. A lot of these things will probably work themselves out, but it feels like you've got a lot of options, a lot of like lineup versatility is the different ways you could go with the five you want to put on the floor at any given time. Well, no question. I think that's uh, that's one of the strengths of this, of this group is that, you know, we've got a lot of depth and we've got some experience. And even though, you know, a couple of the guys may not have experienced on every single game night. They know what it was like. You know, they know what it looks like every day, you know, from NCAA tournament teams and, and guys that won games in the NCAA tournament, you know, even though they may not have been the focal point of the scouting report for their opponent, they know what it looks like every day, getting up, getting to practice, what the you know, time off the floor looks like. And so uh, we're really excited for that. And the, the thing that we've loved about this group as much as anything is how hard they play. So I think we will have an opportunity and we will probably look to play more than maybe the, the average just because they do a really good job of playing really hard. And I think we've got an understanding that if you go out there, play hard and, and get results that, you know, you get a, a breather and cheer on your teammate and then you go right back in and they do the same for you. How long did it take? And maybe it was right away. Did you know that Bryce Hamilton had bought in, um, whether it's flirting with the NBA, other schools coming at him, sometimes kids will come back and, I think you have to look right away on what the attitude is. You know, do they really want to be there? Like, how long did it take for you to know, okay, he's not only back, but he's actually all in on what we want to do? Yeah, really, I felt that way when, when he decided to come back because he, Bryce isn't much of a, you know, he doesn't take risks. And he not, he's not a, somebody who's really go out there and just kind of let things fall where they may. He's, he's pretty calculated in, in his decisions. Um, you know, he, he sees things two and three steps ahead. So, we really felt when he called and said that he wanted to come back and that, you know, we knew he, w- he would be with the right mentality and the right mind frame. And, and Bryce is one of those guys, you know, we've had a great relationship with him now for two years. Uh, he probably gets it more than anybody on film from the coaching staff. You know, we put a lot of, we're putting a high expectation on him. And so I, I think that, that he's taken it great. You know, he's wanted to get better. He, uh, he talks about, you know, wanting to get to the NCAA tournament. That's the, that's one of the things he hasn't had an opportunity to do. So uh, I think he's really doing it and trying to team up with the coaches and, and help the guys. And, and, uh, cause that's what, that's what it comes down to at the end. I think making sure that the, the group on the floor and the team is teaming up with the coaches and, and we're all trying to see the, the same vision and, and go the same direction. Uh, you have a uh, Michael Nuga transfer from Kent state coming in who's coming off a torn ACL back in uh, January. I think it was of this year when we got a chance to talk to him uh, a couple weeks ago after the first practice, he basically said that he was still getting back to a hundred percent. And even though he kind of looked like the best player in that practice that we got to see uh, first off, can you clarify, is he at a hundred percent and how good is he going to be if he's not yet? Well, yeah, we're we're really excited about where he's at in his progress. But you know, as you mentioned, it's only been nine months—you know, nine full months. So uh, there's probably still a little bit of 
you know, to get back to that full 100%. But, you know, speaking of your NI, the NIL, I mean, I, I can't facilitate it or anything, but the one expression or the one adjective I way it used to describe Mike is like a living can of Red Bull. And, you know, he's just, he's always excited. He's always happy. He's fun to be around. He's got a great mentality, a great attitude. And, and, you know, when he messes up, he looks you in the eye and you, you kind of figure it out and you talk with each other. And, and that's where, I, well, as you mentioned, he was probably the best player in practice that day. I think that's a large reason of it. You know, we, uh, we say commonly that, you know, energy masks mistakes. And if you go really hard, you can kind of make, you might make a mistake, but if you play really hard, you can get through it and, and get back to level. And I think Mike does that about as well as anybody. I think the president of Red Bull listens, so, hey, you might be getting a call later. We never know. <laughs> we're right, we're always excited about Bull. who listens. Thanks for listening. <laughs> uh, what, did you want, what do you want to do going forward? We know what your schedule is uh, in terms of philosophy. Uh, do you always want to play at least one tournament if you can? I mean, what, what's going to be your philosophy as a head coach of this program? Uh, in the MTEs? In the, yeah, in, in your non-conference. Yeah, I think, uh, well, this one, this year is just a great opportunity. You've got, you know, name brand teams, uh, household names coming into into Vegas. So, but, uh, yeah, it, it really is one of those things where we're going to take it year by year, and, and we would love to, but we also have to make sure it's best for the for the group. And the, the hardest part about scheduling is just is the calendar. Uh, you know, you want to play uh, – you have something in mind and you have a vision of who you want to play and win and days off and travel. And then when you roll all that together and then you start talking to teams, you know, you might want to play on a Tuesday, but they've only got a Wednesday. So you've got to decide this, that, or the other. But yeah, I mean, this event this year is going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be great for the guys. It's going to be great for us as a group to learn quickly against, you know, established programs. And uh, we would love to do that every year. And, you know, if it's in Vegas, that's even better because I think we'll have a great showing and a, a great support for those games. All right. You got to help us answer a question that uh, UNLV basketball tweeted out. Game to 21, who's winning? Your assistant coach, Brandon Chappelle or Jordan McCabe? Ooh, well, let's see here. I mean, Jordan's got the advantage in, in youth. Uh, Brandon's got the advantage in experience. They're both... Uh, I don't know. I would imagine one would get to 10. You said game to 11? Game to 21, 21. is what the tweet Game was, to 21. Yeah. One of them would get to 20, and it would get extremely physical. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know. That that would be a good – I mean, Coach Chappelle's had an Achilles surgery, Jordan. You know, so I don't, I don't know. But uh, we might have to – you know, speaking of fundraisers, we might have to get one of those going and uh, – <laughs> And see what see what we can do in that regard. I'll, I'll give you this: you and your assistant coaches play three on three against any three of your players. Oh, coaches! Okay, oh, there we go. There That's you go. Perfect. Well, they don't. They got the four point plays. Yeah. Done, so I mean, you <laughs> yeah, can get I enough of those. I don't even know if they. I don't even know if they score. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're all, we're all in we're all in great shape, and uh, you know we play every day. So yeah. Well, he is Kevin Kruger, the head coach of UNLV men's basketball. Kevin, thank you so much for joining thanks, us. Thanks, Kevin. No, thanks, guys. Really look forward to seeing you guys on Thursday. Yep, thanks. We'll see you there. Appreciate it. So right, the, there is Kevin Kruger. Uh, and again, uh, Thursday uh, night, they're going to have a practice that is open to fans to help raise money for Robert Smith, former UNLV point guard, uh, was calling games here as well uh, in his medical uh bills that he has piled up over the last year or so so a good cause and also if you want to go get a look at the unlv team you can do so and get a look at these practices that uh, are high energy coming up next 
The Kansas City Chiefs, we sure they're any good. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Second down and goal. Three-yard line. Fields under center. Takes. Play fake. Fields rolling. It was right. Hit as he delivers. Into the end zone. Touchdown! Jesper Horsted! Touchdown Bears! Throws it for Booker. He stumbled. And he reaches and he gets in for the touchdown. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Did you know who threw that pass to Booker? No. Mike Glennon. Hey, Mike oh, Glennon. Mike Did Glennon. you know Mike Glennon played for the Giants? Yeah, we talked about that earlier this year. Okay, because that had not stuck to my brain. Yeah. Mike Glennon. Superstar. He and Davis Mills with the long necks. Um, the Bills <laughs> beat the Chiefs last night 38-20. to Kansas City had four turnovers in that game. Josh Josh Allen threw for 315 yards. Yeah. He only completed 15 passes last night. Mm-hmm. Like, this wasn't like a 32 of 42 performance for 315. He had grand, one great leap as well. Yeah. He yeah, hurdled over. a guy. Yeah, that was actually to get a that first was pretty down. nice at two, four, 242 pounds. I thought that was pretty good. Are I we? don't know if they're – I think Jared made a great point in the, in the uh, break about Pat Mahomes. And, and we've said this a couple weeks ago. When they were winning, winning, winning – a lot of stuff he did, people said, man, no one can do that. Look at him. That's great. When you're not winning and you do some of the stuff he does, then it's like, oh, why are you doing that? And, he, and you used to get away with a lot of stuff. So I, why is it? It's just crazy. And maybe because it's in the back of your mind, Mahomes. Like, if you ask me right now today who's winning the AFC West, I'd say the Chiefs. It, I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say the yeah. Chargers. It's the only because of him. As great as, as Justin Herbert were yesterday, as good as he is and is going to be, because I think that guy is going to be terrific. I still would say the Chiefs will win the division because of Pat Mahomes. Yeah, because Patrick Mahomes has been incredible his entire career. Yeah. There's been nothing wrong with Patrick Mahomes' his entire career. And I'd even argue, so far this year, the bigger issue is far and away the defense. Patrick Mahomes is still second yeah. in the league in EPA per play. Right, The guy has still been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL this season. They got more turnovers than we're used to seeing. Absolutely. But I think the bigger issue is the defense, and they legitimately cannot stop anything. No. Like we've talked about the Raiders and how defensively in the past it's been, well, they can't really get many stops, and you've got to score a bunch of points to win. I think the Chiefs look worse this year defensively than the Raiders have over the past like five seasons. Yeah. It's hard to do. And so Mahomes is out there, and granted, we have seen him, hey, put up 42 points to win the game. He has done that. But when you have to put up 42 points to win every game, it becomes very hard to do so, and you're probably going to have a lot more turnover-worthy plays when you're having to score 42 points. So I'm less concerned about Mahomes going forward as I am the actual defense because they can't stop anybody. Like, this is the last week, even against the Eagles last week, the Eagles did not punt in that game. Yeah, I'm not... I. I... I say that and preface it with what we said off the top here about what he does, but I'm still confident enough to where he can win the AFC West because of him. But can they stop anyone? Now, they might be able to stop the Raiders because if the Raiders can't move the ball at all, they might be able to stop them. We've already seen them against Justin Herbert lose at home. They're going to have to go to SoFi to play Justin Herbert, and the way he's playing right now, I'm not sure they can stop him. I, Teddy Bridgewater, I'm not sure. I agree with you. Teddy Bridgewater's not great, but Teddy Bridgewater's shown he can move the ball a bit. Can we, um, I, I wish the Raiders and Chiefs were playing this week just to see. Can the Raiders score against the Chiefs it, defense? Oh, 
It's going to wind up being Andy Reid versus John Gruden in an offensive struggle. Final score, 13-16. <laughs> that, that has a chance to be scorigami, that game. Yeah. That would be pretty funny. 8-7. Eight, 8-7. Seven. Eight, seven. Andy Reid did that weird pitch thing to Travis Kelsey, and he took it in for the two points, and that's the end of the game. They, they're genuinely awful on defense. And so when you look There's at the AFC There's a tight West, end just running down the field, and none of their DBs could keep up with it. When you look at the AFC West right now, Raiders look like they're falling off the cliff. Uh, the Broncos have a good defense, but I don't know that anybody's actually convinced that they're going to be good enough offensively uh, to really contend. But the Chargers are out yeah. here just like rolling, putting up 47 points on Cleveland. Probably not ideal that they gave up 42 to Cleveland, but still ended up winning that game. It's... It's a fascinating division right now because I'm I think I'm still with you even at two and three. I still think the Chiefs end up winning this division, but I think you gotta lean heavy on the Chargers right well, now as as a they're a legit contender, not just in this division, but probably to win the Super yeah, Bowl. That's the funny thing. We're sitting here saying, and I agree that the Chiefs are gonna win the division. And in my next breath, I'll agree with you and say the Chargers Super Bowl contender. <laughs> yeah. Which is a little strange, but well, if they both make it, they both make it, but boy. What a game with Cleveland yesterday. And Herbert was just, that, that offense is, you know, when they get it rolling, it's scary. Did Mike Williams get 200 receiving yards in that uh, he's game? He's at 165. 160, jeez. Couple, yeah. yeah, 165. Massive day for Herbert in that offense. Now, again, giving up 42 to the Browns. Not ideal, right? Their defense isn't exactly great either, but it's better than the Chiefs. Chiefs right now are the worst-ranked defense by pretty much every analytical measure in football. Minnesota kid Sam Gordon early in the day was beating me in fantasy. He had a few comments for himself because he was undefeated. I said, yeah, maybe Herbert will have a good day. <laughs> ah, sorry, Sammy. 52 points from one guy. Beautiful. Poor Sam Gordon. Oh, boy, we'll see him he at 9 He was trash-talking early uh, in a just fantasy a little, score? Just a little.